Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Thank you, Dr. Ashford. It is a genuine joy uh, to be back on the Southeastern campus. I love the opportunities to be here with you. I admire your president uh, so, and uh, he and Mrs. Aiken are terrific uh, friends for Lanice and for me, and uh, we have uh, walked through many things together uh, with them. It is a joy to be here with Dr. Ashford, and his kind introduction is uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, not only do I get to come and be with them and have the opportunity to share the Word of God here in this place, as uh, Dr. Ashford mentioned, something that I've had the privilege to do almost every other year since about 1988. I think this is about the 10th or 11th time I've been able to speak here in this place. Uh, but to see a large number of uh, Union grads uh, here is something very special. And now uh, to see Trinity alums on your faculty uh, to connect where I currently serve is a joy indeed. So I am thankful to God for all that is taking place here at Southeastern, and uh, we pray that God would use uh, this time. It's a long way from West Tennessee to northern part of Illinois. And in the northern part of Illinois, there is one thing during the summer that has everyone's attention. Whether it's raining or whether the sun is shining, whether they are playing well or not, Chicago turns its attention to the lovable Chicago Cubs. And I have become a great Cubs fan. Now, it's hard to believe that at the middle of September, they are 22 games above 500 with visions of playoffs and World Series dancing in their heads. And it's a pretty exciting time to be in Chicagoland. But it's been a long time since the Chicago Cubs were in the World Series. As a matter of fact, since the last time the Chicago Cubs won a World Series, the internet was invented. Since the last time the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, television was invented. Since the last time the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, radio was invented in 1910. It has been a long time. Since the last time the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, the Chicago Bears started a football franchise and have won nine NFL championships. Since the last time the Cubs won the World Series, the Chicago Bulls joined the NBA and have won six NBA championships. Since the last time the Cubs won the World Series, the Blackhawks joined the National Hockey League and have won six Stanley Cups. It's been a long time since there's been this kind of excitement in Chicago. There have been 18 presidents to serve in the United States <laughs> since the last time the Cubs won the World Series. Teddy Roosevelt was president. Billy Graham has had 96 birthdays since the last time <laughs> The Cubs won the World Series, and he was born 10 years after they won their last one in 1908. At times in life, we need encouragement when things are not going well. Things have not gone well for the Cubs. Often you'll be in ministry and things will not go well for you. 
I was talking with a pastor recently who told me that he started parking not in the pastor spot next to the office, but in the furthest place away from the office parking lot so that he could pick up the trash along the way each day so there'd be some tangible evidence that something good was happening in his ministry. People get to places in which they find great discouragement. And what you find here at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is a passage filled with great encouragement. And I pray that it will encourage many of you because I know in the third or fourth week of a semester those assignments are about to settle in and you're wondering if you can make it to the end of the term. You're facing those kind of challenges. Those of you who serve in churches uh, on a part-time basis in which you wonder if you're going to be able to make it from Sunday to Sunday. And as you think about opportunities of long-term service, perhaps this can be a passage that becomes a resource for you to which you can turn to find encouragement. For here, I think we find markers of an encouraging Christian community. Five markers that I want us to look at together, beginning with the passage that uh, Dr. Ashford read for us. The gift of encouragement is one that is highly prized. I've been exceedingly blessed with encouragers in my life, and I want to be one of those for you here today. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, it says that Timothy was sent to the Thessalonians to be an encourager, to be a representative of God for them. I pray that I could be an encouragement for many of you today. Encouragement is important because it's easy to become discouraged. It often happens as we reflect on the sheer magnitude of the task that Christ has given to His church that we fail to focus on making a difference right where we are right in the community where God has placed us. We read Scripture and we hear the words of Jesus to make disciples of all the nations, something that characterizes this seminary to go to all the world. And frankly, it seems overwhelming. The masses seem so great. Modern technology seems to add to our burden. We know more about the world and its billions of people than at any other time in history. Each day we learn more about issues in Iraq and Syria and Iran and Russia and challenges around the world. Yet it's helpful, or so it seems to me, to recall that the first man and the first woman were told to take care of their garden. The early disciples of Jesus were told first to focus on Jerusalem and then to move out from there. So we want to live with a consciousness of all that God is doing in the world. It's one of the wonderful things that I love about Dr. Danny Aiken and his leadership, not only here but across the Southern Baptist Convention, that he calls us to be a Great Commission people. But God is doing something special, and we dream and pray and strategize about how we can serve the global church and spread the good news of the gospel around the world. We're called to disciplize the world for Christ. I never want us to miss this calling. But our first calling is this, to be encouragers and faithful ministers of the Word of God right where we are, impacting one person at a time by encouraging them toward Christ-like faithfulness. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 8. I think we see a model for how to live this out with five markers. And I want to begin by looking at verses 12 and 13, which focuses on the importance of leadership. And what I might say in the next few minutes may sound self-serving. I don't mean for it to be. 
But I want us to think about the importance of leadership because many of you are going to be called into places of strategic leadership in days to come. Leaders are no different from other members of the community except in three ways, in their callingness, their giftedness, and their responsibility. Leaders are not perfect people. They are not sinless people. Leaders are people who struggle with similar temptations and demons, just as James writes in chapter 5 that Elijah, the great prophet, was a person just like us. The reality is that most leaders are so much like others that it would probably scare you to know how much leaders really struggle. I know because I know them. Furthermore, I know my own struggles, my own sinful heart. And sometimes we put leaders on pedestals. I know that I do. But usually the best thing we can do is to recognize that leaders have feet of clay, and Paul says to hold them in high regard because leaders do have a unique calling, unique giftedness, and significant responsibility. We are to respect leaders not just because of the position they hold, but because of the hard work that they do. There is no place in the work of God's church for lazy leaders. Leaders are called to work hard. People who do not work hard are usually looking for a title more than for the opportunity to serve. Leaders work, must work harder than others. They must shoulder the responsibility. We need to respect them, to support them, and pray for them, to try to understand what it means for them to carry the heavy responsibility that is theirs. Leaders have to make difficult decisions. Yes, leaders have the wonderful privilege to stand up and be the stand-up person for an institution, a church, for an organization when things are going well, but they also have to be the person to stand up when things are not going well. They have the tough job of saying we're not where we need to be. Announcements that have come from Richmond, Virginia in recent days have brought us all to the place of recognizing how hard it is to make tough announcements. I would encourage you, if you have an aspiration to be a leader in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is not a political statement at all, but to read the work from President George W. Bush called Decision Point. What he does in that book is to tell you how leaders make decisions, how hard it is, and whether you agree with the outcome of his decisions, you at least learn how to walk through making difficult and challenging decisions decisions along the way. I think it would be very helpful for you because leaders live with the mistakes which are created by others, which is especially hard because they have to live with their own messes too. That's the reality of leadership. Paul says, live in peace with each other. I don't know if there was a particular conflict there with the leadership and the church in Thessalonica, but whatever it was, maybe it's just a general statement, this good counsel for us at all times. Still, I know this, conflict does come and conflict will come. And we're to do our part to live in peace with one another. I have a lot of respect for people who lead at any level. It's the reason I have such appreciation for the leadership here on this particular campus. I thank God for all that is taking place at Southeastern Seminary. I tend to give leaders the benefit of the doubt. I really think that's what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, that the community of faith to give leaders the benefit of the doubt. I know that this risk sound, sounds uh, self-serving, but I really do not intend for that to be the case. 
I know this, most of us never know all the issues that a leader deals with. Thus, it's imperative for a healthy community to respect their leaders, to hold them in high regard, to encourage them so they can carry out the work well. One can rarely be a good leader without having been a good follower. John Stott says this in summary, Joyful is the Christian community in which leaders and people recognize that God calls different believers to different roles and gives to each other the respect and love for which their God-appointed labor demands. When this happens, they will live in genuine peace with one another. The first marker of a genuinely encouraging community is that it has leaders who encourage the people around them and also has people around them who encourage their leaders. Number two, encouraging communities show compassion for people who struggle. Look at verses 14 and 15. Everyone struggles somewhere along the way. He says, warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, hold on to them, cling to them, put your arms around them, be patient with the difficult and disappointing. Healthy communities need a lot of grace. You may know that I sometimes like to talk about churches and institutions being grace-filled communities. You can hear Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount in verse 15. Personal revenge and retaliation are forbidden for the followers of Christ. Always try to be kind. Always try to be good. Recognize there will always be problem children wherever you serve. So let's work hard to cultivate patience with one another. Let's discourage retaliation. Let's pursue kindness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. It's a beautiful wordplay in the Greek text. He says to be krestos because of Christos, be kind because of Christ, because it's the right thing to do. So we not only need to show compassion and care, but to demonstrate patience and kindness in a grace-filled way. Number three, the third marker of an encouraging community is this. The community lives a life of consistency. Look at verses 16 through 18. Paul does not say, just be happy. He says, be joyful. He's warning them against gloominess. Instead of gloom, we're to celebrate God's grace and goodness each and every day in our lives, one with another. In this country, we've confused Thomas Jefferson's pursuit of happiness with the New Testament exhortation for holiness and joy. Be joyful always, he said. That would be a picture of consistency, wouldn't it? I hear people say, I just want us to be happy. I just want us to get along. The New Testament calling is much higher than that. As needed for a Christ-centered community is to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, says the Apostle Paul. Joy comes from an ongoing relationship with God, for joy is found at God's right hand, says the psalmist in Psalm 16. So not only does consistency call us to rejoice always, but to pray continually. Notice the consistent, ongoing aspect of these exhortations. Pray constantly is what keeps us open to God and what He wants from us. He wants us to be able to do this in special situations and in everyday situations, to be peaceful when we are facing pressure. Henry David Thoreau, the great author, said that most people live lives of quiet desperation. 
But for those who pray continuously, I don't think that is the case. In verse 18, the third marker is found of that of thanksgiving. Few things provide encouragement for other people like that of genuine thanksgiving. But thanksgiving, first of all, begins in a vertical direction, offering, offering thanksgiving to God before we provide thanksgiving for others. Paul did not say to give thanks for all things, but to give thanks in all things. For even in them we can be thankful. That is God's will for his people to be thankful at all times. A life of thanksgiving is not normally the case. Most people live thankless lives. There is this illustration when Jesus heals the ten lepers in the Gospel of Luke. We are most of the time like those nine who said nothing and went away. Only one returned to offer thanks to Christ for what he had done for them. People who long to experience grace-filled and encouraging communities are people who will recognize the goodness of God in all things with a sense of gratitude in all things. Gratitude to God becomes one of the agents of grace in our lives. We do this not just to be mannerly because it's nice to do in the South and North Carolina. We do it because it is a calling upon the people of God who make up the people of God in encouraging communities. Ambrose of Milan said, nothing is more urgent than returning thanks. I urge you today to be a person filled with gratitude gratitude to God for what he has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ, and gratitude even for the privilege that you have to study with the great faculty here at Southeastern Seminary. In these three short verses, Paul calls for us to be a faithful, consistent community, consistent in joy, in prayer, and in gratitude. I think when that happens, it moves us away from being people of selfish interest, of self-focused cynicism, of being people who are characterized by discouragement rather than encouragement. The fourth marker of an encouraging community is found in verses 19 through 22, where it says it is important for encouraging communities to be wise and discerning. Don't be gullible, he says. Don't be naive. Don't be over-analytical either. On the other side, I think a good summary is this. Be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Test all things by the Scriptures to see if they are so. God clearly says to some, there's a remarkable degree of insight that you have into the meaning and the application of Scripture. You have the privilege of studying with a great faculty here who have those gifts but not everyone does so. And we need to recognize that we need God's Spirit to call upon, to help us. God's Spirit is grieved by our sin, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, but the Spirit of God is somehow quenched by our naivete on one side, our doubt and cynicism on the other. So God calls for us to be wise and discerning. Encouraging communities are characterized by encouraging leadership. They are characterized by grace-filled relationships. They are characterized by consistency. They are characterized by discernment. And lastly, we see in verses 23 through the end of the chapter, it is important for encouraging communities to make progress in our life together and our walk with God on a regular basis. 
progress in all areas, academically, socially, emotionally, in our relationships. As some of you know, I've been amazingly blessed by people, leaders who've taken a special interest in me to help me along the way. I had the privilege of doing the things that Dr. Ashford described because I'm a turtle that's been placed up on a fence post by others. You see, I couldn't do this by myself, and you can't either. We need one another. We need encouraging communities, and we need to hang around people who will encourage us and who are in it for the long haul. Had the privilege a few years ago of giving some uh, lectures on American evangelicalism at Azusa Pacific University. Three lectures on the history of American evangelicalism, and on the front row in each of those lectures was a long-standing leader in American evangelicalism named Ted Ingstrom. He served as the first general editor of Zondervan Publishing House. He served as the president of World Vision, and he served as president of Youth for Christ for almost 20 years. Not only did he know that history, he had lived that history. He knew most everything that I was talking about. And the first letter that I received when I returned back to my house was a note from Ted Ingstrom thanking me for the things he had learned from me in those lectures. I know he really didn't learn anything, but it showed me something about him. Here was a man at 86 years of age who was still wanting to learn, still wanting to make progress, still wanting to grow in his walk with God. We are to make progress regardless of where we are, whether you're a first-year student here at Southeastern Seminary or whether you're the person with the longest tenure on the faculty. God calls each and every one of us to continually want to make progress in our life together to be sanctified through and through every aspect of our being, a wholeness in life, particularly making progress in godliness. It's important for us to recognize that nothing but the grace of God can accomplish this. When we show respect for leaders, compassion for strugglers, grace toward the ungracious, when we manifest spiritual wisdom and spiritual consistency, when we are making progress and experiencing authenticity in relationships, the sense of genuine encouragement and enhancement of community will be untold, and the kingdom of God will advance, and the church will be built up, and the place where you serve will be a better place. And your life will radiate encouragement to others rather than self-focused discouragement. We all have a need for this kind of encouragement, this kind of community, a need to be loved, a need to be encouraged, a place where we can love and encourage others, a place where we can celebrate and be celebrated. And I'm confident that people will be drawn to this kind of community if you manifest these five markers in the place where you serve. So in this time when you're called at Southeastern Seminary to study and learn and grow, I pray that God will give you grace to flourish and to thrive, to stay and to graduate, to continue to be involved after graduation. We pray God will help you, help me, help all of us to influence one another to embody these markers of encouragement. What we see here is much more than some rah-rah sense of Christianity, but a genuine kind of enthusiasm, an in-God sense, an in-theos sense of enthusiasm, kind of encouragement which we care for one another each and every day and make progress along the way. 
I'll let you read the concluding chapters and decide the concluding verses and let you decide whether you want to take them literally or not. But I think it calls for us to have some kind of affection for one another in a God-honoring learning community. So we pray that God would help us today to live out these five markers and that God would do a work in our lives by His Spirit to bring encouragement to your life so that you can be an agent and an instrument of godliness and encouragement to one another. Let us pray together. Oh God, we pray that you would use this hour for good in each of our lives, that you would uh, encourage the discouraged, that you would help those who are inconsistent to live consistently, that you would bring joy to each of our hearts, a sense of gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ. Give us, O oh God, a new respect for the leaders that you have placed here in this place. We pray your blessing and anointing upon Dr. and Mrs. Aiken, upon Dr. Ashford, upon those who were called to provide leadership to Southeastern Seminary. And we pray for this room filled with future leaders, that you would bless them and anoint them and grow them and help them to become lifelong learners, people committed to growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day of their life. So we thank you for this time of worship, the opportunity to look into your word. We pray that you would use it for our good and for your glory. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.